to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code AFFECTA15. That's A-F-F-E-C-T-A-1-5. Hello, welcome back listeners. I'm Daria Brown. And today I'm excited to have a new guest, occupational therapist, Robbie Levy, who is celebrating 40 years this summer being a pediatric occupational therapist. She is also the executive director and founder of Dynamic Kids New York, a multidisciplinary pediatric practice that provides occupational, physical, and speech therapy services to children from birth through teens. They also provide enrichment groups such as music, art, yoga, self-regulation, and handwriting. She also just started a new company with another occupational therapist and an interior designer called Sensor Rooms, which is a sensory-informed interior design company. Welcome, Robbie. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you too. Uh, it's always nice for me to have different guests on the podcast too. So I know it, you've been doing this your, your whole adult life. You mentioned that you are very sensory and pediatric oriented, and that stemmed right from your initial education. Did you want to talk about how that sort of gave you a head start in your career? Sure. Um, when I went to school, the OTs were only at a bachelor's level. It wasn't until a few years later that they started having entry-level master's programs, which obviously are even further along now. And my school was very pediatric and sensory oriented, where many schools, pediatrics was a piece of your development class. We had an entire semester on pediatrics, probably two. And then we had an, we had an elective just for sensory integration, which I think everyone in my class took because it was taught by this very famous person. And it was really interesting. And from the moment I took that class, I knew that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And here I am for like 40 plus years later, still doing the same thing. And I'm just still so excited about it. Um, and I love combining the sensory and the DIR piece. I feel that it is the way to go with kids with disabilities or, or differing abilities. And the, the more I, I work, the more I feel like it is the best combination out there. So I'm really excited to do it. And that's where I'll begin and I'll probably end. <laughs> and the way that we met is that I saw your presentation at the New York City Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based DIR Conference, and your presentation was entitled Enriching Sensory and Motor Experiences During COVID to Enhance Relationships and Strengthen Capacities. And I really enjoyed it so much because I, I know about occupational therapy from all of the work we've done with my son, who is on the spectrum and he's turning 12 already. <laughs> and so we've done work with him at Maud LaRue's clinic in just outside of Philadelphia for a number of years. And, and this presentation really gave me a different insight into all of the challenges that COVID has brought about 
and then going, you went through each sensory system and gave all these wonderful examples and activities. So I thought this would be such a good thing to bring to parents listening out there, as well as practitioners. So um, I'm so glad you agreed. <laughs> oh, of course. Thank you very much. I love doing these presentations. One of the things that we became very interested in this year was, you know, how was the um, pandemic impacting the kinds of kids that we work with? You know, was something better? Was something not as good? You know, and how could we enrich the lives of the of the children and families that we work with? And we were closed at the beginning of the pandemic. Our office was closed from um, pretty much March to September for in-person, but we were doing um, Zoom presentations, and Zoom classes and Zoom therapy, telehealth. When we opened back up, back up we saw that a lot of the kids um, had had very limited movement experiences as well as sensory experiences while they were home. Now, obviously different families reacted differently to the lockdown, you know, depending on where you live and how you are impacted. Some families were very um, on board about still going outside and taking walks and being part of nature. But there were a lot of our students, our children that really didn't leave their house for weeks at a time and had very limited exposure to physical play and sensory experiences. Well, my son would be on that list because at the start of lockdown, of course, we, we didn't know how long it was gonna last. And my husband introduced him to video games for the first time. And even six months earlier, I would say, he wouldn't have had the capacities or the fine motor or anything, I don't think, to really have, have been able to play video games successfully. But it was unbelievable to me that within only a few months, we, we would always you know, have to supervise and turn everything on for him or do anything like that. Within a few months, we were sleeping in, he'd get up himself, go downstairs, turn it, everything on, start the game himself, know how to navigate through. Like it blew me away that right. this little guy who really developmentally was a toddler a, a couple of years ago, now is like a little preschool boy in, in an almost 12 year old's body, had developed so much to have the capacity to just do that. So right. I thought less about screen time is bad. And I was more impressed with the independence that he was showing and his excitement and love for something new, which were was Mario Kart and all these Rocket League and right. video games. But it meant sitting on the couch all day long and, right. you know, trying to go for walks here and there, maybe riding the big wheel around. But yeah, it was a good eye opener to hear you say all of this. this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I've really taken away throughout my career is, you know, how do you meet each individual family where they are with their activities and their own preferences? Because sometimes you have a family who's really into sports. Sometimes you have a family who's not. Sometimes you have a family who's really into nature, sometimes not. You could have a musical family, a non-musical family. So I think it's really important to take not just the child's 
preferences and interests into account, but really the family's preferences and, and interests into account when you're trying to make these kinds of recommendations of what to either do as quote homework or just activities that you could recommend. But there are some sort of basic tenants that you can take away from this pandemic related to sensory and physical play. Sometimes physical play doesn't necessarily mean let's go out and play a team sport like soccer. Sometimes physical play can be as simple as just changing your position and going from place to place. So for some families that are less physical in general, you can even take the concept of playing video games and say, okay, you always have to play video games sitting. Maybe the answer is no. And you could play it lying down. You could play it on your side. You could play it standing up. You could play it on your knees. Um, of course, that's a little bit harder to do, but it still challenges the body to experience, you know, motor positions and strengthening in different ways. Because if you're only in one position, then you're really not helping your muscles to develop all that much. Of course, your finger muscles can develop from the joysticks and the, and the knobs, but your whole body is not having that experience. And we don't want our kids to come out of this pandemic and find themselves weaker than before they started. So even if they're not stronger, we don't want them to come out weaker. So really figuring out how to meet them where they are and then use their interests and their preferences to scaffold them to a place where they can participate in other movement activities or at least other positions. Now, that was a really good part of your presentation that that really resonated with me because I didn't even think of something like that, like just having your child lay on their side and then you know, sit in a different way or whatever. And I know my husband did get some kind of movement game with the switch where they have to stand up and go like this and shake, shake right. their thing to make things move. And I thought, okay, well, at least he's moving a little bit, right. but just to relate, it's, it's not just children who need occupational services, but I was bodybuilding before the pandemic and the gym's closed. So right. now I'm thinking in my head, okay, maybe in late summer, they're going to open up. I'm so out of shape now. I haven't, I mean, maybe I still have muscle from everything, but I haven't, I started working out a bit at the pandemic at home with resistance bands and a little bit of weights, but not the heavy weights I was doing at the gym. And the other day I just started to go through some movements. Like I did a few deadlifts without any weights. My hamstrings were so stiff for two days afterwards. And I thought, wow, like the atrophy that happens just from sitting for a year, so if that's happening to us, <laughs> right. imagine our kids who are just developing and they're just, you know, they're working on coordination and balance and all of these different things to then just have that not only stay still, but to regress. So I think that's a really good point. And I think also that many of our kids not only are still developing, but many of them have mild neuromuscular differences anyway. So they might have like mild low tone or they might have um, 
already have, let's say, hamstring tightness from toe walking. So already they're coming into it, um, you know, with some delays on top of just that they're kids still and developing. So we really want to be conscious of that. And, you know, if you have a child who needs stretching or we call it range of motion, just because you're home doesn't mean you're not going to do it. So you need to make sure that those things happen if you don't have it happening in a natural way. So you don't really have to do a lot of stretching and range of motions if you're really active, because when you're running around, things will often get stretched out. But if you're sitting around all the time, anybody's going to get tighter and stiffen up. So if your body already has some neuromuscular differences, it's going to be, you know, compounded. So it's really important to think about that, um, you know, for returning back to whatever our new normal is going to be, which nobody really, really knows yet. And walking is great, you know, and we have some activities. We'll show some pictures later where you can incorporate the movement with the sensory without me making it too demanding. It's a, it, we don't have to jog. Not all of us are joggers. Some of us are just walkers and that's fine too. And you can incorporate the movement of walking with sensory experiences, with nature, and then meet the child at whatever FEDC level they're at and scaffold that into you know, a powerful activity. Right. And for anyone who's new listening, FEDC is the functional, emotional, developmental capacities that we talk about in DIR floor time, just where the child is developmentally. Um, I also was going to ask about low tone, because I know that's something that a lot of parents hear when we bring our kids to occupational therapy. And I still don't even know if I understand what that means eight years later. So my understanding is their body's floppy. My son used to lay on his side and play with the trains, uh, not having a strong core to be able to sit up. But then we used to bring him to these movement sessions where it, it wasn't related to occupational therapy, but they, they used different concepts. But he did lots of little physical obstacle courses and they worked on different things. And I remember the woman saying, what do you mean he doesn't have a strong core? Look at this and showed all the strength that he had. Yet, from an occupational standpoint, it's low tone because he's slouching when he's sitting or, well, you can tell me. So what exactly, the, the thing that you brought up about tight hamstrings from toe walking, he definitely toe walked for years and had these special boots to keep his feet down, which I, I think forcing them to stay down, I don't know how, how useful that is. I found it more useful to get squeaky shoes, so he wanted to step down and hear right. the squeak. Right. But what exactly is low tone? Sure. So I think that there's a difference between low tone, strength, endurance, and sensory seeking. So I'll see if I can parcel it out for you. A lot of people use tone as sort of the overarching term for what's really not muscle tone. It's really more endurance and strength or sometimes coordination. And people just use it as this umbrella term. Technically, low muscle tone, mu muscle tone is the, the muscle capacity at 
rest to move and be active. So low muscle tone people, their muscles react slower to quick stretch. A lot of times kids are labeled with low muscle tone that really don't have low muscle tone. And that should really be diagnosed by either a developmental pediatrician, a neurologist, or an orthopedist. A lot of times teachers and therapists just sort of throw that term out. It's really not low muscle tone. Sometimes children have decreased endurance. So let's say they're doing an activity that needs a lot of core and they don't stay with it. It can be misinterpreted as decreased endurance, but sometimes it's really lack of interest mm -hmm. in the activity. So you have to tease out the muscle tone and the endurance and the interest. Sometimes it is strength. So strength and muscle tone are not necessarily exactly the same. So it's harder to have good strength if you have low muscle tone because you have to work that much harder to have strength, but it's not impossible. And I think that's what we see a lot of times with our kids as we build them up in therapy, they develop better strength because tone really doesn't change. You either have low tone, regular tone or high tone. It really doesn't change all that much. It's your strength that changes. But the last thing that happens all the time is kids that are slouching or kids that are leaning are a lot of times doing that for sensory reasons. So sometimes if you're not sitting up tall, it's because your vestibular or movement system is not activated enough because your movement system gives you a lot of what's called extension. So you get a lot of trunk extension from good vestibular movement, which is why when you see people sitting for long periods of time and not moving, they usually start here and end up here. And it's not always because of endurance, it's really lack of vestibular input. That's one piece. The other piece so, is before you go, before you go on, can you just describe a little bit vestibular input? So is that like my kid needs to get up and walk around the room and come back? Yeah, they need to walk. They either need to take a sensory break and, you know, do something powerful with movement. Walking is okay, but something a little bit more powerful, like mini sprints where you run, you stop, you stop, you run, you run, you stop. Um, something like that is usually a little bit more uh, energizing to the vestibular system than just plain movement. What about bouncing on a bouncy ball for a chair? That can help also. Um, that gives you what's called your proprioceptive input, which is the input to your muscles, joints, and ligaments. You are moving, so you are getting the vestibular, but what's really important, and I think we talked about this in the presentation with the reactivity, it's important for your brain to notice input. And the way the brain notices input is when it quickly changes. 
So if you're just walking, you're getting a movement break and your brain goes, okay, I'm walking, I'm walking, but it's the quick start stops or the unpredictable start stops that helps the brain register that input and alert to it and make it more powerful. So having a good occupational therapist in your child's life even if you are done with therapy directly, it's good to still have someone in your life who can really attune to those kinds of things and help you to make sure that those ingredients are still, those sensory ingredients are still coming into your child's body and brain so that they're getting like maximal benefit from their sensory system. So sometimes when we discharge kids, it's because, you know, we've reached sort of a plateau and maybe our service is not the most important one anymore. Maybe it's more academic or speech and language. You know, parents have to prioritize. But I think it's always important to have a good OT on your side, you know, on your team that you can always go back to for a consultation and say, this is what I see. What do you think? You know, how can we make this better? And we do a lot of that here at Dynamic Kids because a lot of times kids don't need to stay in OT for 15, 20 years. They need to go on and off programs and then just come back on for either a tune-up or a consultation, or sometimes the parents come for a consultation, not even the child, to make sure that those ingredients are, are important. So the last thing that happens is sometimes kids will lean against things, whether it's the table or the wall when they're walking down the hallway, or sometimes they'll lean in preschool, they'll lean on their teacher. And it looks like they're not strong because why would you lean? Because you need support. But our kids a lot of times are leaning to get touch and proprioceptive input. So you don't want to misconstrue that and, and just automatically jump to, oh, they must be weak. They must have low muscle tone. And I think that that a lot of times is the go-to. Yeah, a, a couple of things that came up there is it's really interesting that you brought up needing the stop start to stimulate the brain because I did a podcast a few weeks ago with Dr. Ira Glavinsky, who's a psychologist in Michigan. And we talked about the book, How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett, where she spoke about there not being this fear center of the brain, the amygdala and this red brain that that is so common in in um, in the world of psychology or whatever in, the, in this world we, we're we're, we're told about regulation that you flip your lid and your amygdala brain, reptilian brain comes out. She said there's absolutely no evidence for it. In fact, the amygdala is activated whenever anything is novel. So anything new activates the amygdala. It doesn't necessarily mean fear. And right. that was so in line with what you said. And so I'm, I'm thinking about how when my son was in virtual school uh, during lockdown, just for short periods, they would say, go get this, like a little scavenger hunt. And, and I would say like, oh, go for a little run, run around. And 
and we did a renovation and opened up our living room so he can run around where the fireplace is sort of thing. And so he would run and run and run and come back. And, and that kind of thing is what you're saying is really good. Mm-hmm. It's like a little sprint movement. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing about the vestibular and the proprioceptive input, I know, I know just from all the OT that we've received that those two systems are so highly integrated or whatever, <laughs> like right. you, you um, can't look at one without the other. And I mean, those are our son's two biggest issues, I think, from the start, uh, from a child, I had to constantly go like this with him when he was fussy, like move, 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 move. If I'd put him down, ah, he couldn't sit in a stroller. He wouldn't sit in a car seat until like, I think over 18 months old or something, just freaked out, had to hold him, move, constant movement, he'd settle immediately. And we would be walking with him as a little, you know, 18 month old, two year old. And he would always bump into people on purpose or he would go in between the wall and the dresser and just stand there. Like he really needed that proprioceptive input all the time. Right. And so it's just um, interesting to hear you say that because, you know, different like weighted, whatever they call them, weighted lap things and lap pads. Yeah. Yeah. Like that definitely helps him too. But, but you're saying it's also that start, stop, quick little movements that are really important. Because what happens with the brain is, I think a good example might be smell, your olfactory system. So your your olfactory system is a more primitive system. So it's there at the very beginning when you're born. It doesn't really develop all that much. But when you walk into a room that, let's say, smells like pizza, and it's really strong, and if you like pizza, it makes you happy. If you don't like pizza, it doesn't make you happy. But within, depending on your system, but within like one to five minutes, you won't really smell it anymore because you've um, assimilated to it, right? You've accommodated to it. It's not until you walked out of the room and came back that you would smell it again. So it's not necessarily that the smell is gone and dissipated. It's that your brain has kind of accommodated to it, decided it's not important to pay attention to anymore. And that's sort of the same concept with the quick start stops. If you're um, always having a weighted blanket on you or wearing a compression garment, and you don't put it on and off, it will ultimately pretty quickly lose its impact. Interesting. By putting it on and off and on and off is how the brain registers that something's different and makes it more, I use the word powerful, not like I punched you, but powerful neurologically. So those little sensory breaks are really more important. Right, than doing it for long periods of time. That the, the, the brain will alert to it. And as long as it's the right input, because if it's too alerting to a child, then it's dysregulating. But if it's the right input, then it will like kind of reset you. Almost so, like back to homeostasis. Is this what you meant 
with your point in the presentation, sensory responsivity is not static? Right, right. Okay. So you have a kid who seems to be okay with whatever system you're working on, then all of a sudden it changes. They didn't change, but their reaction to it changed based on what the input is and everything else that's going on at that moment. So you might have a child who you're ready to discharge from a sensory point of view. Things seem, you know, basically um, homeostatic and generally regulated. And then they come in and there's been a shift of something. They're too tired. They're hungry. They're having gastrointestinal issues. They're having sleep problems or something on more the emotional side. Um, something traumatic's happened, or there's been a a very big change in the family system, or God forbid, a death in the family. All of that will change your sensory reactivity, and it could be temporary, and it could be, you know, more long-lasting until that is kind of dealt with. And so we're not just like, oh, this is our system, and we're here for for vestibular, we're always here. No, we're not. Sometimes we go this way and sometimes we go that way. And our idea is to hover in that general homeostatic place. And the younger you are, the bigger that continuum spot is for you. So when you're younger, you're allowed to be dysregulated and it's still typical. So when people say, oh, they're having a temper tantrum, well, they're supposed to have a temper tantrum at that age. It's how do they recover from that temper tantrum? And what external supports do we have to give them to recover? And how long does it take? We get referrals all the time just for temper tantrums, but we don't necessarily work with all those kids until we tease all that out. Yeah, I, it's almost like you need a degree in occupational therapy to understand everything. So yeah, you, it's, I wish that every child had OT services, not just, just kids who, who show up with red flags because right. it's so important. I, I know that you had also mentioned during the presentation that vestibular affects relationships and emotionality and arousal level. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. Um, I think that when I started teaching classes about sensory, I thought about little newborns and how they were really, you know, kind of defenseless. They, they, they need their adults, their caregivers to take care of them. And a lot of what we do with them to calm them is the vestibular system. You were saying with your son, you know, how do you when you have a baby crying, you typically, you put them, I'm gonna take my little stuffed animal that I have here. It's not so little actually, my teddy. And you know, maybe you're holding them in a football hold like this and you're rocking them, you know, back and forth, right? And you're picking them up from the crib, you're picking them up from the car seat, all their movements are reflexive. So they have no movement on their own. So they're dependent on their humans to do all their movement. 
we don't usually diagnose kids with sensory issues as infants. So if they have difficulty with their vestibular system, we're kind of doing unto them, almost like in a trauma way, that they might not want to be moved that quickly or picked up that fast, or they might not want to be spun around, but they really can't tell us. Or, so, or, in, or in my son's um, instance, he really wanted all of that. Right. The more, the better. Right. And maybe you didn't give enough because you didn't know about it. Now, instinctively, I think every parent knows like rocking is like an instinctive thing, but rocking also doesn't give us that quick start stop that some vestibular systems need. I think of it with the wiggle cushion. I'm not sure if they use wiggle cushions in, in your area as much as they do here, but a lot of times it's sort of the go-to. A kid's wiggling in class, they give them a seat cushion to wiggle on, right? What I notice is that the kids never really stop wiggling because it's not that powerful. What makes you stop wiggling is the more quick start stops, get your input, reset your neurology, and then maybe you can stay still for longer periods of time. Not that wiggling's bad, but it's just that the answer isn't always that gentle, continuous stimulation, whether it's wiggling, whether it's rocking in a rocking chair, um, whether it's hearing the same music over and over again, that isn't necessarily what resets our sensory and neurology systems. And it really goes hand in hand with floor time when we talk about expanding and challenging the child developmentally, meeting them where they're at, and just adding in this little bit of differences, little bit of challenges for them, and expanding so that it's not just the same thing over and over again, and just you know, getting those little nudges further along to help them out developmentally. It's a similar concept here. Right. And the same with motor planning, because if we do the same thing over and over and the child develops the movement pattern to do that, it doesn't really expand their motor planning capacities because it's really only novel activities that expand your motor planning. And it doesn't have to be a huge expanse. It could just be something very small. And for some kids, it could just be one new color or one new texture or one new character in the role playing that you're doing. It doesn't have to be this enormous, enormous change. And that's the crumbs that you're talking about. Those little, little, little pieces that we use to scaffold our kids and nudge them along to expand their skills. And it might be introducing something new and doing it for a month before you right. introduce something else new. It's not that you're constantly every five minutes changing. No. And I think, you know, you see that sometimes with younger therapists um, or newer therapists that they're worried to get stuck. Um, in that rut. So they're changing a little too much instead of sort of sticking with the theme and, you know, training students also therapist students, I mean, not our, not children 
a training therapist that it's like, it's okay. You don't have to do 15 activities in your half an hour session. It could just be an expansion of one play theme the entire time. And I must be have, I must have getting back into my exercise regime in my mind, because right now I'm thinking about all the stuff I've been listening to about how you don't have to change up all your exercises all the time either. You can just add a few more reps or, you know, add a little bit of weight, but you can do the same exercises when you're exercising. So it's just interesting to me how it kind of applies across the board. Occupational therapist, Robbie Levy. This is her website, Dynamic Kids. It all happens here. Lots and lots of great information about different things that they offer, different services. There's a blog here you can link to. So I hope listeners will check it out. I will have links to things that we talked about at the blog post at affectautism.com. Thank you so much, Robbie. And be sure to tune in next week when we're going to continue this discussion in a part two, where we do talk about Sensor Rooms, her new project, and we're going to go over some of the examples she gave for activities for each of the sensory systems from her presentation at the New York City DIR conference. So lots of goodies packed into next week as well. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Have a great day. You too. This episode of Affect Autism was brought to you by affectautism.com. This is an independent endeavor on my part without any sponsorship. Please consider supporting the podcast and the website for as little as $5 US a month to receive extra bonuses, including floor time videos access, your questions answered on upcoming podcasts, my weekly insights video with my takeaways from each podcast, and more. You can become a member or a star member of Affect Autism at patreon.com slash affectautism. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions.